When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Ah, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yes, yes. Ah, uh, what's been going on? Um, I have uh, started binge watching a show that um, I'd never thought I would be in the mood to binge, but here we are. Oh. Um. So as of releasing this, uh, we are one episode so far into The Last of Us. Oh, yes. I'm watching that as well. So I watched the first, the pilot, The Last of Us, and I was like, you know what? I wonder, uh, I wonder how much The Walking Dead has influenced this, um, the show, um, I mean, obviously, because it's such a widely successful show, it's been on for 11 years, um, 11 seasons. So I was like, you know what? Let me compare and contrast. Come on, Ooh, Fright School. Look at her. Uh, the <laughs> pilot of The Walking Dead with the pilot of The Last of Us. Okay. And so that's what I did. And it was, it, I was like, oh my God, I remember this. I love this. I, I remember why I love this show. And so I, um, I just kept watching and now I'm like in the middle of season four. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You really, uh, you really brought it, uh, or you really fell into a deep dive. <laughs> a the way that I'm justifying it is that, you know, or not a rewatch cause you didn't watch it to begin with. I or? watched up to season seven. Oh, okay. 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 So and you're starting it over. Yeah. I'm starting it over. Yeah. Um, and what was what's interesting about it is that like the show has ended like it ended last year the walking dead the yeah. walking dead and i feel like now i kind of owe it myself to be a, a completist about it and, yeah and see the end but we'll see how far because like there's a certain point where a major death happens uh spoiler alerts for the walking dead for all of you that um I stopped watching after that because I just couldn't, like, I didn't see the point anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that would be at the point in the apocalypse where I was like, well, just eat me. <laughs> just eat me. But we'll see what happens as things continue. Yeah, show. yeah. I've been in uh, enjoying it um, a little. Uh, we, we watched the first episode. First of all, I thought it was kind of cool because they actually started um, before the... Like event, like I'm so used to these kinds of shows just dropping you in to, in the middle like, of everything, you know, and then they would kind of work backwards. But this sort of started right at the beginning of you know, the event that mm-hmm. you know turns everybody into you know whatever they are. Mm-hmm. 
as uh, so we've only had one episode and I did not play the game. Uh, I guess the Sam Scrimge said he played a like a few hours of it, but he's there, there, it's not really his kind of game, so he didn't. Yeah. Uh, but he he thought it kind of it reminded him of that. Um, the comics for The Walking Dead I feel are old, much older. So I, but I'm I, but I can't say for sure what came first, The Last of Us or The Walking Dead, as as uh, properties. But I have to imagine The Walking Dead came first. Yeah, because the game came out in 2013. Okay, then definitely, yeah, then definitely The Walking Dead was around longer. Um, and obviously, then going back and back, tracking that all the way back to you know other zombie films, but. Um, I like the first episode a lot. It's very, uh, you know, not afraid to go there. Mm-mm. Uh, very emotional opening, obviously. And I love the imagery, like the mushroom, like that guy plastered to the wall with like the mushroom. Like mm-hmm. that was super creepy and really cool. So yeah, I'm definitely going to watch more of it. Uh, they did a good job. I love the the main actor um, who plays the Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal. Uh, yeah, Pedro Pascal. I like him a lot. So, um, yeah, definitely look forward to watching more of that. Uh, we also picked up the Mayfair Witches. Do you like it? Which is the second series in the Immortal Universe. Apparently, they're going to do a bunch more. There's like four other properties of hers that they want to adapt. Of uh, Anne Rice. Yeah, Van Rice's material. Um, I like it, I'll say, enough Okay. to keep watching it. Uh, is it what I envisioned? No, but you know, the interview, the vampire series they did also was not what I kind of envisioned. And I actually like it better than, as I've said before on the show, better than the original novel series and better, certainly better than the film that they made in the nineties. Um, so I'm just kind of going with it. It reminds me a lot of Coven, which again, when Coven first came out, the American horror story series, Coven, um, I mentioned that it reminded me of the Mayfair witches. It was like, I was hoping that it'd be more inspired by that. Uh, And then it kind of was, but not really, you know, kind of went off on its own sort of thing. So again, I'm enjoying it. It's playing with the novel in its own way, kind of doing its own thing as is to be expected. They have to expand a lot. So I'm just curious where some of the choices that are deviating from the original kind of where it's going. But, you know, I do have to remember that Anne, I think was involved in this process, like before she died. So I have to imagine that they have like her wishes in mind uh, for ideas of how to expand the show. So I'm, I'm enjoying it again. It's about witches. I'll watch just about anything with a witch in it. You know, for all, if we're being honest. Oh, absolutely. So, I love magic. Yeah. So I'm going to keep watching it if, if for anything else for that. Beth Grant is in it, who I love. Uh, she's a wonderful character actress. I love in lots of different things. I'm sure you've seen her. Um, she played the, uh, remember in To Wong Fu? Uh, you've seen that, right? I've seen Wong Fu. Okay, yeah. there's the woman who's like, we used to have a hollering contest, but some folks don't like that sort of thing. Is that the? Is she the same one from um, Sorted Lives? Yes, Sissy from yes. Sorted Lives. Okay, that's Beth Grant. Uh, Sparkle Motion from mm-hmm. Donnie Darko. <laughs> I question your commitment to Sparkle Motion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So I love her, and she's one of these people that can play anything. Yes, like she's played these like backwards, you know, chastity old, pariah types. Ca- exactly. <laughs> she plays glamorous very well. This one, she's very, uh, she's like. Uh, hag like long hair <laughs> no she's very severe oh so okay. she's kind of tasked so she's playing aunt carlotta who's like 
I think that's her name, Carlotta, um, who is like tasked with like trying to take care of one of the main characters who's like attached to like a demonic presence. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it's, she takes it very seriously, like her role in the family that way. Um, so yeah. Uh, so she's a lot of fun. I love when she shows up in things. Uh, Alexandra, Alexandra Daddario. Daddario. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in it. So that's actually really fun. Cause I'm also watching the white Lotus for the first time. So I'm watching mm-hmm. her play that this character in the white Lotus is, is one thing. And, uh, Rowan, the character she plays on Mayfair Witches, mm-hmm. is totally different. So it's kind of fun seeing her do two different things that I'm watching concurrently. I I I love Alexandra Daddario. Um, when we watched her in um, We Summon the Darkness, mm-hmm. like I remember watching that, and then like watching her in White Lotus and being like, "Oh my gosh, she has the range." Yeah, she does. She really she does has have the range. range. Yeah, and then this is kind of it's similar. She's playing a doctor who, again, the book is older, obviously, but it does kind of remind me of Coven. It's just hard not to, you know, where it's like when she gets angry, she like kills people, so mm-hmm. she has this like power that she doesn't really understand, and so she has to go to New Orleans to figure it out and tracking down her family and her like history. Um, and it's very, it's a very interesting character. So yeah, very excited about that. Um, and just to see where it goes, I'll keep watching. I, it's not great yet. Uh, but the first couple episodes, I'm like, well, I'm going to keep watching. How many novels are in the Mayfair Witches series? There are three that make up the trilogy, I believe. Cause it's like, I think it's the Mayfair Witches, Lasher and Taltos. I get that. I get them really mixed up because there are three books that make up the original, the lives of the Mayfair, Witches trilogy. And then there are three other books that cross over with it. There's also like, you know, the vampires from the interview of the yes. Vampire series there, mm-hmm. they come into it. So th- there's all that, which they're mentioned in the new series because they want to connect these worlds. There's going to be a crossover apparently between the Mayfair, Witches and interview with the vampire coming up at some point. Mm-hmm. They have plans to have crossover episode. You know, um, apparently this Anne Rice cinematic universe. Exactly, but the books have that too. Like I think Carl um, Claudia, I think is like a ghost in one of the Mayfair witches books that like tries to communicate with them, and I don't know. It's nutsy cuckoo. So lots of <laughs> lots of stuff going on in these books. But yeah, I think it's three original, and then I think there are three books that include stories or crossovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that that was pretty good. Um, so that's TV catch up. I did watch a couple of movies this week. One was Sick. Have you seen that Mm-mm. with um, Pamela Adlon's daughter, who was in the Craft Legacy? I can't remember what her name is. She's done some other things. Anyways, it was it's a very COVID conscious movie. So oh, I don't know. I'm kind of keeping I mean, it's about COVID. Like it's okay. a horror film about like like a murderer is like stalking people and you know, asking them about their COVID tests. So like specifically asking yeah, about COVID? Like, yeah, like it's about 
it's about COVID. It's about like anxieties with COVID. Okay. And, yeah. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I'm gonna kind of stick it in the back because I think we should watch it and talk about it on the show because you know, especially for you, you've talked a lot about how COVID for a while changed like the landscape of television and like how we made films. And mm-hmm. you we're gonna have this whole time period to look back on that we we're gonna see the presence of COVID within mm-hmm. the storylines, how they had to change things by either accommodating for COVID and mm-hmm. just talking about it or not. Yeah. And so everybody's kind of split up. Like we were talking about, like there's lots of one or two person scenes mm-hmm. where maybe there would have been just choices get made. So this, this movie was kind of talking a little bit about just like uh, culturally yeah. know, how we sort of changed with COVID. So I don't know. I'd recommend it to people to watch. It was fun. It was a slasher sure. movie. Um, Two girls at a you know isolated cabin trying to quarantine. Gideon Adlon. I just looked. That's I just her looked name. her up. Gideon Adlon. Um, she's in. <laughs> she's in one of my favorite teen romps of the last ten years, called Blockers. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was on the list. Yeah. of movies that she had done. I've not seen that. Yeah, she. Surprise, surprise. She's great. She plays. Uh, yeah, it's. It has. Um, oh my god! What is her name from Freaky? Um, the main girl in Freaky. Oh, Kathleen, um, Catherine Newton. Uh, Newton. Yes, yeah. so she's in it. They play three best friends who are trying to lose their virginities on prom night, but it's a reversal of the trope because it's three girls right. who are very, um, like, very sexually empowered. Huh. Well, I'll have to check that out. Maybe that'll be a good uh, After Fright School but, uh, Potentially. I think you might like it. Yeah. Um, and that's this episode's obligatory Patreon mention. Patreon.com slash Fright School. Wow. Uh, come join the party. Um, all right. So the other thing. All right. So the other movie, which kind of is appropriate for what we've been talking about with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which you know we'll get to in the second half of our of our little uh, of our episode today, mm-hmm. but I went to see Skinamarink, which uh-huh. horror Twitter was like all set on fire about for a few days there. Um, so when I got the opportunity, I was like, "Sure, I'm going to go see that." And it is such a strange thing to try to explain to people. I'd like to do it on the show and 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 talk about it, but it's like I don't necessarily want to watch it again. <laughs> Which is odd hold on, me. hold on. Let me get my tally. Right, movies Joshua will never watch again that are yeah. not for After Fright School. Yeah, <laughs> because it really. I, so it was based. So the guy who made it, which I cannot remember his mm-hmm. name right now, but he had made a short film called Heck. Mm-hmm. That's basically kind of the same themes, and I think it's more successful because it was a short. So you know, it's a, it's under thirty minutes. It's like twenty eight minutes or something like that. A very similar kind of vibe. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the film is about like these children who like wake up in the middle of the night. They can't find their parents. Things are starting to disappear in their house. The doors and windows like are blinking in and out Mm -hmm. of existence. The toilet vanishes. Um, You know, there are sequences where their toys are being pulled away and then they're like up on the walls or Mm -hmm. on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really cool sequence where like a chair is on the ceiling. Um, and then it's like just long interludes of like staring at a wall, staring at a TV, staring at a toy, 
um, you know, intercut with, and it's very fuzzy. It has like this graininess, like it's on VHS. It's a, it's a period piece. They, it's 1995. Mm. So it's super grainy. There's sometimes where you don't really know what you're looking at. Does it take place in a Scandinavian or Nordic country? No. Okay. Not that I know of, although I guess, I mean, I'd have to watch it again, which I don't really want to do. <laughs> so it's, again, it's, it's, it's so hard to explain to people. So it's like, I think it's worth seeing at least once because I do think that the film is trying to do some really cool things. Okay. And I think that somebody watching it will be inspired by it and will push it in a better direction and do a better job at, at executing what they were trying to do because mm. it's just too long. I wish I had editing ability. Like I wish I knew how to edit because I would fan edit it down. Like I would take out like at mm-hmm. least a half an hour of bullshit. And how, just, how long was the movie? An hour and 45 minutes or something. Yikes. Yeah. It's almost two hours of like, again, I get that it's, it's supposed to be like slow cinema, which I do like. I, you know, yes, give me a film where a woman's like folding napkins for three hours you know, and it's saying something about, you know, the bana- banality of life or whatever. No. Um, that's a comment on a French film. But, anyways, um, I don't mind a meditative film. Mm-hmm. And there were parts of this that, again, really worked and were really, really good. And then there were just parts that it's like, okay, this is getting a little long. Like, get to the point. And then there were a few really, like, I mean, it it kind of plays like ASMR. So it gave mm-hmm. me, like, um, goosebumps quite a few times. Yeah. Uh, legitimately made me jump a couple times because it is very quiet. And then it's just like, ah, you know, it, it scares you. Mm-hmm. And there were some really good moments that I'm like, oh, man, you should have made that a little farther along, you know, Mm. or like there were just some things that could be reordered. But it did really play with your sense of like reality and the dream world. And, you know, are we awake? Are we asleep? And there were some really creepy lines and creepy, you know, distorted voices and stuff that really did work. Uh, It's just overall, I, I, I don't think the film was I think it just got mired a little bit in its in the execution. Having said that, I did not sleep very well the night after, uh, that night after we watched it. I mm-hmm. I had a dream that was really creepy, kind of like in the film, like I was like in this like huge, massive bed and there was like a fuzzy TV in the distance mm. and it was like a foreboding feeling of isolation in the dream. Yikes, okay. And I woke up from it and I was, and I was thinking about the movie and I fell back asleep and then the next night I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about this movie and then the next night and then, I mean, it's been like almost every night since I've watched it. It's like, there is something subconscious about it and I was reading some reviews from other people that were like, saying like this movie was terrible but I can't stop thinking about it and I'm not I haven't slept well you know I didn't sleep well the first night I watched it or cuz it did it what it did very successfully was remind me of exactly what it's like to be a, a child waking up in an un, in, a, in a in a in a in a creepy place or waking mm-hmm. up in an unfamiliar place yeah or the way that like you know the television static can like distort a room so it you know so the a toy that you love and see every day now looks menacing and, and mm-hmm. creepy and there's a lot of that in the movie you know playing with shapes and shadows so it did really get psych- psychologically it kind of crawled into me you know a little bit uh but again, I think it's more to do with my own experience of that feeling of like, you know, like if you ever stayed the night at a friend's house when you were a kid and you woke yeah. up in the middle of the night to their sounds and the sounds of their house and you're kind of in that lucid yeah, liminal space. 
Yeah. And it unlocked that really well, a feeling that I haven't had in, you know, 30 years, like that kind of fear of the dark and fear mm-hmm. of like, you know, when you're looking, you know, everything's fuzzy and like a face might come out of the darkness or not, you know. The you, unfamiliarity. Yeah, the uncanny valley of it all. And yeah, just the liminal space. So maybe that makes it successful to me. The fact that it's like, I have not been able to stop thinking about hmm. some of the sequences in it were truly unsettling. And then other parts of it were untenable to sit through. Like again, like I can mm-hmm. imagine, like I know if I watch this again, I'm going to be fast forwarding because I want to get to those beats and I want to see no. those images again, but I don't want to sit through the whole thing. Cause there's just some parts of it that really dragged and really dragged the story down. And it, and it doesn't even, and that's the other thing. It doesn't even really have a story. There was like mm-hmm. no discernible plot. God, I sounds like I hate it. Um, it sounds yeah. like I would hate it. Um, yeah. Wow. But maybe watch the short, because I think the short does a really good job of capturing the same kind of mm. qualities. Okay. Um, just, again, not as successfully, though, because there are some really creepy images in it that I do want to see again. Yeah. But I just don't want to have to watch all of these, like, let's just sit the camera on the floor and listen yeah. to, you know, shuffling noises for, you know, 15 <sighs> seconds and this a is, minute. It's... Hearing you describe this, one makes me not want to watch the film, um, but also I'm very curious. But it's interesting because the I think you the weekend that you went to watch the film was the same weekend that I finished um, this novel that I've been reading. Oh, she finished a novel! I know, I'm so excited. I, I finished a novel. But the thing about it, though, is that I have, since I finished the novel, I've been a little... I can't stop thinking about it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, in it, and, and I'm uh, when I tell you, see how that feels. Uh, it's just uh, see. Here's the thing: the the novel is not anything profound by any means. It's a gay romance novel for 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 goodness sake. But what's interesting about it is that the descriptions of the relations between the two character, the two main characters, um, are reminding me of. Um, experiences that I've had recently and very vividly to the point where I'm, it, it, it has gotten under my skin a little bit. Um, how, um, and, and to a point where I also never thought that I would ever have um, in my life the experiences portrayed in fiction that are close, um, that are close to uh, reality or that I would ever have experiences in my reality that are better than what I've read in fiction, which is, which is interesting to feel that way about a book. Um, and I love that for you though. I mean, I just love that you're having that experience. Yeah. That's what like I value in books It's like, even if something isn't necessarily some great American novel or great British novel or great, whatever great novel, mm-hmm. uh, that there are still things about it that can kind of hit you in a way that you, that's unexpected and that you'll carry and you'll yeah. think about. And if somebody mentions something, you'll be like, oh, you know, I read this book <laughs> and I do that a lot, but I do that with TV. Right. And I think that like, for me, like my, I gave, and I also gave my full attention to this novel. Like I didn't have any, like I, I, it, it's been really rainy here in Southern California, in California in general, but I in, know, it's crazy. in our area, it's been really rainy. And, um, 
I remember the weekend, that weekend was particularly just pouring. Pouring, yes. So I was like sitting in my bed, <laughs> sitting up in my bed, reading this book, listening to, if I had a cup of tea and some cookies, I would have been like, it would have been cottage core, you know, to the max. But I was just <laughs> reading this book. And I'm just like, oh my God, like this is so, this is what the people who read love all the yeah. time. But I also can't, um, reading this novel and being so, finding it so affecting um, and kind of it getting under my skin a little bit has, it reminds me why uh, kind of the subconscious reason of why I kind of stopped reading novels was because of that, that little, you get that little bit of an obsessive streak um, about, and it sticks with you a lot longer than like, let's say a film, like, you know, like when I was, I was thinking, I, I was kind of comparing it to how obsessed with Midnight Mass was after I yeah. first watched Midnight Mass. Yeah. But it's interesting because the, it's, it wasn't something that I was thinking about all the time. Midnight Mass is something that I wanted other people to see. And right. because of how easy it is to access with this novel though, it's just, Yeah. It was, it was, it was good. And it was, and it was, you know, it was supposed to be, it was a light and fun thing. It was an easy read. Finished it in like three days, but it was just so much fun. And the, I don't know. I, and so I'm looking forward to the next, moving on to the next one. Awesome. Well, I love that. I, I'm so excited that yeah. you're reading and that you're kind of having this experience yeah. you know, and that you're, you know, just trying to get a novel in you know once every a month. month but what was also interesting was the fact that like I, I i think that for me i could not be the kind of person who like reads a hundred to three hundred books a year oh yeah like that's fine you would have to be uh, and I, I, yeah I, i'm i but like i just couldn't because i feel like i need to be engaged with the text that's why like when yeah. i read when i read the like quote-unquote like pop psychology or pop uh, social sciences books you know, they're very, I don't feel the way that, um, I don't feel like I need to like, you know, devour the book because it's got this plot that is driving me to turn the page and turn right. the page. You have to be really in a certain mindset for that. Um, yeah. and so with this, it was just very much that plus, I mean, the movie, uh, there's a movie that's being adapted by, uh, that's being adapted for, um, uh, for Amazon, I think. And, uh, the woman who's going to the actress who's going to play the president of the United States is going to be Uma Thurman, and I can't wait to f for that to fucking happen. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yay. Um, so let's see. Well, we've been talking lots about nightmares. Um, mm -hmm. I will say though, on the other side, dreams coming true uh, for Madonna fans. Yeah, uh, I just have to get this in here real quick. Is you know we've been asking. Well, no, this is not true. We have not been because I don't include myself in this group of people who just want like a greatest hits tour. Uh, but apparently, she's going to do that, and we got tickets, Joe. We managed to get fucking tickets. Congratulations! Ugh, it was such a so stressful for LA? to buy fucking tickets nowadays. Yes, for okay. LA. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it always, it makes me happy that she's going to tour again, so I can't mm -hmm. wait for the show, and we got really great seats, I'm very excited. Well, great seats, I guess we'll see when we actually get there, but based on the way the stage is set up, we have yeah. cool seats. We'll have a unique view. When's uh, the, when's the, the show? In September. Oh, around her birthday. <laughs> no, her, yeah, well, yeah, I guess a month after. Her birthday's in August. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. She will. Well, gosh, yeah. By the time she hits the stage, she'll be sixty-five. 
But anyways, uh, it's been really just fun seeing like the tour selling out all over the place mm-hmm. and everybody talking about it. It just you know makes me happy. I mean, of course, there's all the garbage too, and everybody like making fun of her and stuff, and you know talking shit. But you know, do we think that this is a farewell? I don't think she's calling it that. I mean. No. No, I, I really think it's just her taking a moment to mark 40 years in the business because that's that's what it is. It's celebrating mm-hmm. 83 is um, 40. Yeah, 83 to 2023 is 40 years. Uh, so I just think it's a way to mark that. But yeah, I don't think she's going to quit anytime soon. Um, you know, I'm sure touring will change like with, like with anybody. Sure. As, the older we get, the more you have to. Yeah like think about these things i mean the b52s just had like a farewell tour and now they're booking dates in vegas yeah so it's like there i just think the nature of it may change you know she may like go overseas and like do a you know a residency kind of base thing and then Mm -hmm. maybe do a residency here kind of like what bjork does where it's like you know i'm gonna do 10 shows across the world or something but not be not be the huge multi tour thing oh that would be fun if they did like a Madonna residency, um, but have it be like uh, Abba Voyage. Yeah, yeah. And I really see that in the future, too. I think that will happen eventually one day mm-hmm. with her, whether she's alive or dead, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, but we'll, But that remains to be seen. Unless she's smart and makes sure that that's in her, because there are some people that that's in their will, that mm-hmm. you're not allowed to, you can't, you can't do that. So. You can't digitally reproduce them. Yeah. But anyway, so there we go. Nightmares and dreamscapes. That's Stephen King. I was gonna say, that's a, isn't that isn't that the movie where? Um, uh, no, that was a TV show, right? Yeah, they did a TV yeah. series to adapt some of his stuff. Uh, anthological, anthologically. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. Anyways, we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be back to wrap up our deep dive into the Nightmare on Elm Street series with Wes Craven's new nightmare. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. All right, welcome back. So, yes, this week we finish. Oh, so sad. At least. With these films, there's still yes. a few dangling out there as part of the Nightmare on Elm Street series that I do want to revisit, but we didn't have, you know, seven or eight Mondays in January, so <laughs> we had to we had to do what we could do. So we're um, wrapping up with uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare from 1994. Uh, the This is written and directed by Wes Craven. Uh, I think this is the first time he'd really, truly returned to do both. He had, he'd worked on dream warriors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
but a lot of his script was changed and revised as as happens and then he wasn't he has otherwise he hasn't been really involved in the nightmare series so this was an opportunity to come back and write and direct and use some ideas that he had had from uh the dream warriors idea he had first which would have been like a Mm -hmm. ready type entity haunting people trying to make a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm. So obviously that is what this movie is about. Uh, We have Heather Langenkamp playing, you know, herself and Robert Ingham playing himself and John Saxon playing himself and all these other people playing themselves. And then some people coming back and not playing themselves. Like the nurse. (laughs) Like the nurse, the teacher. Uh, so yeah, really kind of plays with all these sorts of ideas about filmmaking and about what it means to have a popular franchise and, and how that affects your life. And I think we see kind of those ideas that were there in Dream Warriors. You, for instance, when um, they're watching uh, the TV and mm-hmm. you know Freddie attacks Zsa, Zsa Gabor on Dick Cavett's like show, mm-hmm. there's some hint then because Freddie by then had become like a pop culture phenomenon and he would show up on these like talk shows or show up as himself, you know, quote unquote, Robert England as Freddie. You're doing things kind of like Elvira, like Pee Wee Herman. He just kind of took on his own life. So we kind of get hints of that in in Dream Warriors and then more fully realized here. And then really Wes's like ultimate meta with Kevin Williamson with Scream. So these sorts of ideas, I think, start in Dream Warriors, are fleshed out more here and then really get to the meat sure. in, in, in Scream. Um. Yeah, so I did want to, before we get into your uh, thoughts, I wanted to read a couple things. Um, first of all, this is from Robert England. Freddy Fanatics might be surprised to learn that New Nightmare is my favorite film in the series. Every time I've seen it, I've discovered something new that I'd missed before. A subtle change in Heather's wardrobe, a blurred edge between reality and the dreamscape, the savvy integration of real Los Angeles terror, e.g. earthquakes, with movie horror. The credit for all of that goes to Wes. We trusted his instincts and followed his lead in his in this new horror hybrid. Um, so I just, I like that he mentioned that this is his favorite. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites, for sure. And then I like, this is from Wes Craven's book, The Man and His Nightmare. By, uh, or, well, I guess it's not Wes Craven, kind of. John Woolley writing. Um, although... Um, West does have some good quotes in here. So he said, I remember saying to somebody, this is quoted from Wes Craven to the author, if horror deals with something that's in the human experience, what human beings do in narrative is try to put some shape and some control over the forces out there that make a Hitler or make us have nightmares or whatever it is that we have no control over. They construct a persona around these forces and they can call it Jupiter, as in the hills have eyes, or Freddy Krueger or a million other names. But there's something salubrious salubrious <laughs> about a story that takes these forces gives them names and has the hero face them and um, out of these sorts of musing evolved Wes Craven's new nightmare um, which I think is is fair I think it's a really good comment on you know he had made Freddy Krueger up he had written and directed the first film and then New Line did whatever the fuck they wanted for a decade <laughs> And he decided to come back and get some semblance of control over his uh, creation by way of of this film. So, Joe, what did you think? <laughs> I really liked it. Um, perhaps my favorite of oh, the franchise. Very cool. Um, 
Of what you've seen. Of what I've seen of the franchise, yes. I don't know. Dream Baby, right? What is the one? (laughs) Dream Child. Dream Dream Child. There we go. Yeah, we still have to get to those and Freddy versus Jason. But I also need you to see a few more of the The Jason 13th films. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's... Because you've never actually seen a movie where Jason has the hockey mask, huh? We've only watched Mm -mm. the... We've only watched the first one. Yeah, the first one. So yeah, you haven't... Yeah. Anyways, I um I really liked it. I thought that it was in many ways like working some things out to in order to have Scream like two day two years later, right? Right. Um, I I love a '90s Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> all of that was working for me. It was great to see um Heather back on screen again. Yeah. Um, Miko Hughes is just the perfect uh, creepy child at that right. time. Right. I know. But it was also like the Freddy makeup was like the Freddy costume and the makeup is so much better. The glove is so much better. It modernizes it a little bit. I like the idea of the complexity of the story, right? Where like, here's Wes Craven writing. Wes is writing the movie as we're watching the movie. But the point is that Freddy is not like... Fred Krueger, mytho- the mythology of it is evolved beyond like this is a, the the scary story that we tell people based on a true event. It's actually like a demon. Like the yeah. real reason is that Freddy's a demon, um, which I was like, oh, that is interest. That's more interesting to me than some like pedophile that a bunch of people uh, cursed into <laughs> cursed to death, and then he's now you know, taking their children away. And so, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I don't know if I'll watch it again. I don't think I need to, but, um, you know, I can like it and not watch it again. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't judge necessarily. It's it just, it always surprises mm-hmm. me when you do like a movie enough that you'd watch it again. That's, that's just interesting yeah. to me. Uh, because again, I do a lot of horror has rewatchability. Yeah. I, I think that if I want to, like what would make me want to rewatch it is like, you you really have to understand. You really have to kind of have gone through all of the films, <laughs> it, or at least the, most of the films that we saw for the franchise, right? To kind of yeah. get to this place where you can appreciate it, uh, where you can appreciate New Nightmare and what it brings, and you know all the different cameos and things like that. But like, what I love is the meta ness of it, and, and then yeah. you know which what's which is what makes Scream so rewatchable is because there's that element that's just front and center that you don't need to have a an entire knowledge of a franchise on to to understand yeah absolutely well that's why it's like i felt like we could get away if i was going to show this to you i knew we'd already seen the original we'd already talked about freddy's revenge and Mm -hmm. so doing dream warriors and then of course we talked about the remake and we talked about freddy's dead because all of those are part of this Mm -hmm. story to some degree you know Mm -hmm. because you get Mm -hmm. the um, really it's the first and then freddy's dead is referenced yeah Uh, so i think getting the getting at least that education was enough for you to watch this and we didn't necessarily need the other two films again they have their place and they're their own thing and there's some sequences in them that i can't wait to watch with you because they're just so fucking weird and delightful um but again, this takes Freddy back and makes him scarier again. Cause the last we see of him is in six where he's doing all this goofy stuff yep. and he'd been goofy drag queeny yep. for a while. Things we've discussed. He's camping about. it up. Yeah. Very, very campy. And that's stripped away in this. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's meant to be much scarier. I think we get a lot of the realizations of things that 
Wes really wanted to do in the original film mm. and in the third film. Sure. I realized here, so I think um, I'd read like he originally in- originally envisioned the Freddy glove as being like that, being kind of organic and mm-hmm. like at least in the dream sequences, it wouldn't be a glove he'd be wearing, but his actual hand. Yeah, and then you'd have that juxtaposed with the the weapon he used in life. Yeah, um, but for whatever reason, they didn't do that and they just kept the glove. Uh, so we get that here. We get kind of a new makeup. We get the trench coat and the hat, and he, he's just kind of. Yeah made a lot more menacing in a way mm-hmm. than we had seen for a while uh, up to that point. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it definitely has a special place in my heart watching this movie because I remember when it came out, I probably, I think by the time 95 rolled around, we would go to hang out at my aunt's house and they had cable and they played this movie like over and over and over again. So I watched it like a million times. Mm-hmm. And we would like try to scare my cousins, and so it's it's one of those movies. I watched this a lot w- around the same time that I was watching To Wong Fu. Oh, what? bizarre! Because they came out like around the same <laughs> yeah. time, and we're like on cable and stuff like that together. So I'd watch them at my aunt's house. So strange with my cousins because the adults, you know, again benign neglect. Yeah, they'd all abandon us in front of the TV and then go and like drink and smoke and hang out outside, and so we just all would be, you know watching these horror mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> um, but I remember thinking like Freddy was very scary and mm-hmm. recontextualizing some of those really good kills from the first film in this and then having hints of the first film. So it also watching it always makes me want to go back and watch the original too. Yeah. Um, which I do a lot. If I'm going to watch this, I probably will watch the original first and then play this or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there's just so many Easter eggs and fun mm-hmm. things in it that, you know, it's <laughs> I'm just thinking of you like as a kid having going from like Tu Wong Fu to uh, New Nightmare and then having dreams where they're like, you know, meshed in your mind together. He's <laughs> like Beat a Boam with a Yeah, like, but when <laughs> but when a man, when a pedophile <laughs> gets killed by a bunch of people, he returns. He is a sleep demon. Yes, he yes, <laughs> he is a sleep demon. <laughs> and you <laughs> are just a little boy with a glove. <laughs> Oh, uh, that was your queer minute. Um, we're done with that now. I love it. No, that's that's delightful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, and and as our culture, pop culture, has grown and changed, uh, this film becomes more and more like prescient mm. because there is. I mean, not that like I mean, stalkers and all of those sorts of things have always plagued mm-hmm. uh, you stars you yeah. know, and celebrities and you know there's always going to be people out there that conflate reality with with you know what they see on tv what they see in the movies uh you know there's always mm-hmm. going to be that like parasocial mm-hmm. sort of thing and, and, and there always has been but i don't think that we've been as like aware of it as we are now to some degree like and and commenting on it more sure 
Because even the new, the latest Scream film really pulls in this like idea of like toxic fandom and what it means to like love a property and you know and to to chase the people involved in it or to sure believe that we have a right to make decisions and choices for creatives. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, people tell you know you should do this and you should do that, and it's like, but this is my. You do understand that this is my thing. (laughs) Like this is my art, and I will do what I want with it, and you can fuck off. Yeah. Um. So I feel like there's this this has a really interesting conversation that at least I mean again I was ten when this came out ish, uh, so I, I can't say for sure that the dialogue in you know in the community was aware of 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 the you know kind of the toxic fandom that this is sort of talking about. Sure. the beginnings of that uh, and what it does to your life. You know, when you are a Heather Langenkamp person known for doing this film and you have this stalker, although again, I think this, the real life stalker she had had to do more with her television series she did and less with Freddy Krueger. But I'm sure, you know, you still get people that are like, oh, you're that girl from that movie. Like, yeah. You know, sign this thing or take a picture with me. Yeah. You're that girl from so. that movie. We love watching this guy try to kill you. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You know, or Robert, you know, and his, in the role kind of he plays and Wes and the expectations mm-hmm. of fans and after Freddy's dead, you know, how people felt and clamoring for more and demanding that another film be made and to bring back Freddy Krueger. And so it, I do think it i do think it really achieves what wes was trying to do he was trying to make a comment on creating something that gets beyond your control yeah and it sort of personified into this freddy krueger demon creature thing they try to kind of tell us a story there about yeah trapping you know, him in, trapping him in a story and i was right. like this is the mo- <laughs> this is a great little bit of creativity right here it's like in um it's like in harry potter when the only way that you can fi- in the first book the spoiler alert for harry potter but the only way that you can find the sorcerer's stone is by desiring a way to find it not the actual stone right which is so like which is a great bit of, you know, magical thinking. Right. Yes, yes. Which you know, is part of the story here of, you know, we got to do something to like re-trap him because yeah. you know, he's become kind of banal. You know, he's no longer scary to people. And so whatever the energy that the first film trapped and, you know, kind of remained so within the series is now mm-hmm. unleashed. And we've talked about this before on the show the idea of the death of the author right the, right the, the death of the creator that yeah. like the people who actually make the meaning are who sustain the meaning i guess i should start saying is are the people who consume the medium right yeah so it is it's a conversation but it, again it's like you we have to i think that artists and creatives mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. they're actually writing directing you know the production side or actors actresses i you know they still have a right to live as people you know yes. and a right to, obvi- mm-hmm. i mean obviously you're not disagreeing with that um and to comment on it like i don't think you know because sometimes people are like oh you're famous and this is what happens when you're famous and this is what you get but it's like no i mean i think people still deserve to have like a life mm-hmm. and and deserve to you know have some sort of privacy modicum of privacy so i just think this film does a really good job of capturing that feeling of you know i'm not this girl and i'm Mm -hmm. you know i have my own son and you know and 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 it is kind of semi uh 
autobiographical to for her because Heather Langenkamp and her husband did have a or do have a production a, a FX production company. Uh, I think she had just had the one child at this time. She may have had a second, um, but she definitely had her son. So there are there are some real life, you know, yeah. conversation happening in the film, um, and then of course everybody else kind of being haunted by the specter of making this film that they all did together, yeah, years ago. Um, it grows beyond, and the commentary overall, right? It grows. It has grown beyond their grasp of it. Like it's not just a job. Now it's and and I sometimes wonder. See now watching New Nightmare and putting into context in terms of like what it's saying about fandom, like, you know, it not much has changed because the fandom fandom's always going to be something fandoms fandom will always play into, into, into things. That's why we have franchises that are so right. successful. And, um, but seeing like knowing this film and what it's, what it's trying to, what Wes Craven was trying to achieve. It makes me think a little bit differently about like the kind of people who show up to the different cons, right? Like, they're um, the different the people the different people from like the films who are like trying to get you know who are s- signing autographs because fans still want to see them but are living in a different are living uh, the one job that they did right is now like sustain them a certain level of work uh, for forever and yes. how but like people's conceptions of that are are people's fandom's conception of who they are has not stretched beyond that because it just, they exist as just like Nancy just, Heather just exists as Nancy for some people. Right. Either, either in the first one or in dream warriors. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, exactly. It's a good point. And then yeah, the constraint that that can put on Mm -hmm. you or on your life. Um, I loved when Carrie Fisher was alive, you know, she had a joke about, you know, thanking George Lucas for, you know, the career and blah, blah, blah. And also for, giving herself Harrison and Mark uh, a merry band of stalkers that will haunt them to their graves. <laughs> I just always thought that that has to be when you're, when you're so beloved in like a, in a franchise, yeah. like part of it, that's great. And you get to do other things. And if you're successful at that and you can make money enough to like do what you want to do, which obviously for Heather sure. is to be more on the production side of things and just kind of pop up and stuff um, or do things that she really wants to do, like that's great. But there is that, uh, again, that trade off of, well, now there are certain expectations of you, though, for the fans and for people who mm. care about this work that you did. So balancing that. Um, and then on the other side, that like that's just for her and John and the other character, the other characters slash real people in the film playing themselves. You know, dealing with their own experiences of being part of somebody else's vision, and then Wes himself, like having you know, when he wrote the the script, his idea for the original was to to end it and not leave it open ended. He wanted to just make mm-hmm. one movie, one sure. good horror film. Yeah. And New Line kind of forced his hand, forced him to, you know, sign over a lot of the rights and all of these other things in order to get the film made. So, of course, he did that. And, you know, you make that bargain with the devil, the Faustian thing. Mm -hmm. And New Line took his creation, did whatever they wanted with it. And now it's out there and it's permeating pop culture. And it's, you know, it's Freddie's running wild, doing all sorts of things that he never envisioned for him. Right. Yeah. Um, so again, bringing it back around to that, this is sort of his answer yeah. to that, uh, uh, in trying to control, take control again. Yeah. 
bringing it back around to the horror of it, which is the, the horror of like, this is not what I intended. Um, and that circumstance of it running wild, but at the same time, like, you know, Oh, I want you all to be, you need to be scared. This is not someone that you, I want you to be scared again. And here's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I just, I, I think it overall is successful. There are, I mean, it's, the film is shaky in parts because sure. there are people playing themselves who are like more on production or not actors, even Wes. Wes is, there are moments where you're like, <laughs> like, I'm just setting aside, you know, he's not usually on camera. So it's okay if they're. A lot of these people, you, you warned me, you were like, a lot of these people are actual people yeah yeah they're real production people or people that like were involved so it's really cool like it's Mm -hmm. super meta and like and you even pointed out kind of gives a documentary feel to this Mm -hmm. uh mockumentary however you want to call it which i agree it does as they're discussing making the film that they're all in Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's like meta on meta it's like so much commentary happening um, there are also some ideas and things that I that I think would have been cool to have seen more realized. Um, like at one point, you know, the nanny um, played by um, oh gosh, what's her name? Middendorf something. Midden Tracy Mid Middendorf. <laughs> kind of reminds me of um, Morgendorfer, like Daria's last name. Mm. Tracy Middendorf. Uh, this is her film debut, and she's kind of like suspicious because it's like I th- originally they kind of intended that she'd be like possessed by Freddy and is sort of the one making the calls and you know doing suspicious things. But then they decide to drop that. But there's still like an element to her that's like, what is going on with you, lady? You know, it's mm-hmm. just kind of there. Um, I think that would have been interesting if they would have played a little bit more with that. Yeah. Well, when she shows up randomly, I was yeah. like, I didn't trust her in that moment because like. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. So stripping that out and and not going with that aspect of the script, it, it just makes her a red herring in that way. Yeah, of like, yeah. You know, you kind of are like, what is what's happening? Um, but I think it would have been interesting if they would explored that more. Uh, there was also a sequence where um, apparently they wanted to have Wes like as himself, like he's like hiding out in a van, which looked like the van from. Uh, yeah, Wes Craven living in a van driven by Michael Berryman, who was in The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of the um, guy who sort of looks a bit demonic. Like, um, um, he play- I, th- I can't remember if he played Jupiter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. But anyways, Michael Berryman kind of living in a van, and he's like hiding out in the van to like hide from Freddy <laughs> or something. Um, it would have had uh, Wes cut off his own eyelids. Uh, so that he could stay awake. I mean, it was going to be really creepy um, and and disturbing uh, to try to stop Freddy from getting him. But in the end, they um, they opted against that. In the obviously. end, just his mansion yeah, will just, be fine. <laughs> yeah, his mansion. So ma- big mansion it was. Yes, exactly. Um, but I'm like, that's that'd be kind of cool to see like Wes going like just off the deep end, but. Maybe he doesn't have the acting chops for it. Maybe, you know, who knows what what they were thinking. But they cut that out. Uh, You mentioned about Johnny Depp. That story is out there as well, that they wanted to ask him, but Mm -hmm. they didn't have the 
he was pretty big at that time too. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about when. Yeah, by that time, ten years after um, Nightmare, Johnny Depp's career had really skyrocketed. Yeah, so, Crybaby, uh, Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, was Benny and June out by then, or What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Was that out by May, then? I think. Uh, hold on, I'll, I'll look that up. Hold Either on. way, the point is, is that he was a big star, and Wes didn't ask him out of just fear of being rejected, I guess. But Johnny said afterwards, after it came out, that he would have done it. He would have loved to have done it. Um, so, but unfortunately we're stuck with his, um, uh, Oprah noodle. Benny and June was 93. <laughs> okay. So there's that. When was Benny and June? When was, um, what's eating Gilbert grape? Uh, oh. so like 95, 96, somewhere around there. 94. 93. Uh, oh, okay. 93 so is a big year for so him. He's just doing all kinds of big stuff. Uh, so we the last look we get of him is in Freddy's Dead when he's doing the drugs, you know, the brain fire f- frying pan thing or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh what was there was another note that I thought was kinda would have been neat to have seen realized. Um That would have been so fun to have like Johnny Depp show up at her house and have her be have him be the one of the people who she consults. Because like you said, John yeah. Saxon, which makes sense because they're, you know, that was her dad and he yeah. featured so prominently, but it would have been cool yeah. to see like, you know. Well, even just to get him to, st- you know, be in at the, the funeral, in the funeral scene. Yeah. yeah. Is there to support Heather as, you know, like a mm-hmm. friend or whatever, like we get with Tuesday night and we get with the actor who played Rod, whose name has just left me. And I'm sure there are other people that are kind of throughout it. Uh, I love this too. Robert said that, um originally his character because he kind of vanishes we see him and then he just is gone the rest of the film Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. as robert at least he doesn't come back um after the paint paint sequence thing and he said that uh, originally they he was going to have a nightmare in the house and he falls asleep and he's in this like giant web and a giant red and green freddy spider comes down and cocoons me in an homage to the fly that was going to be why I disappear. I wake up in this nightmare in a sweat next to my beautiful wife. And the next thing you know in the film, Wes tells Heather that Robert's gone. They don't know where he is. He's just also taken off to hide, hide out from uh, this uh, Kruger entity. Sure. <laughs> uh, so again, I think that would have been really neat. Uh, they did. Oh, it says that there was a thing where Robert's wife tells Heather that she ran out of town or he ran out of town because he was freaked out, but they cut that. So we get no explanation. He just vanishes. Um, again, another way that this film art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life, but you know, is the, the earthquakes. There were mm-hmm. earthquakes that had happened. The 1994, um, this was filmed a month prior to the Northridge earthquakes, which killed a, a lot of people, injured people cost $20 billion in property damage. Um, so it struck two weeks before the end of New Nightmare's filming. So Craven sent out a second unit to film footage of actual quake damaged areas of the city uh, to add more of that element in into New Nightmare. So they kind of adapted the story a little to mm-hmm. to play with that real live um, nightmare that was happening for people. Um, and again, growing up, this film definitely that's this is why so many people that like aren't from California think like that this is pro- what it's like every time an earthquake happens, yeah. rather than the rolling. Again, earthquakes are horrible; they do happen on big scales. People die, even in small ones. People die. Terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. Damage happens. Absolutely, not to diminish earthquakes, but I definitely had an idea like. <laughs> 
when it was, oh, I'm going to move to California. And my mind immediately flashes to this movie like, oh, it's going to be like that. <laughs> it's going to be earthquakes all the time. Earthquakes all the time. Everything's shaking. Everything falling down. Holes in walls. But it'll be worth it because I'll be in California. Yeah. Giant claw marks <laughs> across the across the wall there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways... I, I, I'm I glad that you enjoyed it because overall I do think it's one of the better sequels. I think I showed you what as best I could what I think are the, you know, we've watched the best films in the series. Again, we will pick up some of the others I think as you, we go along. I think you did good by that. You did good, but you did right by me. <laughs> I definitely put this up there. I mean, my my first is always the original. I, I always struggle, for me personally, I always struggle with putting a sequel before an original film. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, you wouldn't have the sequels if you don't have the originals. So I definitely put the original up there. I definitely put New Nightmare and Dream Warriors. Those are definitely my two favorite follow-ups. And then everything else kind of just falls in line after that, however, sure. yeah. you know. Um, Revenge. I've recontextualized, especially in the wake of like the Scream Queen doc. I didn't used to like it as much as I do now. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot more because I do see it. I see a lot more value in it than I did. Um, and, and in queer conversations and queer horror, uh, it's really fun to talk about it now mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I didn't uh, when I was younger. So yeah, I guess that's sort of, that's kind of my take on the Nightmare franchise. What about you? Um, I like it. I, I think so far it's not my favorite franchise, but um, I think that it, it's it's interesting to be uh, to have grown up having one conception of who Freddy Krueger was and just right. knowing him as the boogeyman. Um, and then going through, you know, matriculating through fright school and seeing that how he is a very, it's a very, there's a queerness to how England yeah. pre- uh, uh, portrays him and the, the space that he occupies in popular culture. And yeah. that I think to me is the most interesting thing about, uh, Freddy and the and the Nightmare franchise, but um, I love that. Yeah, it it was it's I like being able to go through this because it just makes me wonder what else from my childhood that I've not that I've avoided that is trying to say something. Like, I think we did that a little bit last year with Hellraiser, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ah, so wonderful. So before we wrap this up, uh, let's talk about nightmares a little bit. We've been studying uh, a franchise that is about that. It's about that liminal space between waking and dreaming. And Mm -hmm. um, So I'm curious if you remember any nightmares you've had, or do you have recurring nightmares? I don't really have recurring dreams. Um, It's... Dreams are funny because the there are ones that I remember, but um, the ones that I remember the most are the ones that are feel like memories. Mm. And sometimes I dream so vividly that I th- that and so realistically that I think I'm remembering something, and then in my dream I realize that it's not real. Ah, and then I wake up. Yeah, I've had dreams like that before. Yeah, it's like I've had dreams where, um. I guess to me being, you know, um, a lovesick sap is that I've had dreams where I'm like living out a life with someone (laughs) that I have Mm. a crush on and then realizing that that's not real. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, I've had dreams where, um, my, one of my, 
one of the dreams that uh, I woke up and I just started sobbing into my pillow was actually the 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 night, the first night that I spent in my new bed when I moved to the mainland back in 2004. I had this very vivid dream about uh, um, attending a party back home and seeing everybody... Um, and realizing that like, oh, this is like a party that is, I'm realizing that I'm watching, I'm, I'm at a going away party and the going away party was, was for us. Oh, wow. And re- yeah. and seeing all of the people, it was kind of like the end, it was almost like the end of uh, True Blood where they're all like sitting at a table and you, you see everyone that you've been watching for seasons. And then I woke up and I just started sobbing and it was the first, it was, it was the first time that I, it would be the last time I cried like that for a long time, but it, I just kind of like, it was so emotionally spent. I just let it all out. And so not so much a nightmare, but as a, those are the types of dreams that get me unsettled yeah. are the ones that feel like memories. Um, what about you with like nightmares? That. Yeah. I have a lot of recurring nightmares where I'm like trapped in like a space. I don't like that. You like a pipe. Or mm. um, those old timey dive suits, like where I'm like at oh, the bottom like a, of like a like a big diving bell, yeah, no. with like the head and all mm-hmm. that. But I'm like trapped in the like I can't move, and I'm in the bottom of like a water body of water. Sure. Um, yeah, those ha- that's probably my most recurring theme. You know, um, I did have a really bizarre dream a couple of nights ago where I. I was like infected with some kind of something. It was like, you know, very walking dead, very mm-hmm. hot, you know, the hot zone, you know, mm-hmm. Ebola kind of thing. Very last of us. Yeah. And I was super it's giving hemorrhagic fever. Exactly. It was, it was a hemorrhagic fever. There was blood everywhere and there was a bunch of other people and they were all dying or dead. And like, I was like waiting to die. I have dreams like that too. Quite often. I think again, that's just my like, mortality stuff kind of working itself mm-hmm. out where it's like, I, I have dreams of my, of dying, um, of what it's like to blink out, you know, to ha- that, mm. you know, yeah, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of times when I have nightmares, they are definitely can be very, very graphic and weird, you know, people up on the ceilings doing weird things and gorish kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's no surprise with the stuff that I watch, but, um, yeah. What were you dreaming of when like, in this post skinnamarink life that you're living now, like what are those dreams, those nightmares like? Um, you didn't really, I don't know if you really talked about it. Well, I mean, I first... told the, the dream I had the night we watched it where I was like on the bed. It was like a huge bed and the TV. I was mm. talking about that. It was okay. like a, a weird blinking TV. And, you know, I just felt really isolated. And it's like that. Like, yeah, just being suspended in like this weird space like a liminal space like Mm -hmm. between but a lot of times it's not really in the dream it's when i wake up like i wake up from it and then i'm thinking about the movie you know i'm thinking about Mm -hmm. you know hearing weird voices or things in the dark like i said it just unlocks something it's fading now now we're a couple days you know we're like a week we're over a week away from Mm -hmm. since i saw it but by the time this comes out it'll be almost a month (laughs) since i saw it or three weeks or something like that but anyways not the point the point is is that it's starting to fade. But for the, yeah, for the first few nights there, I kept waking up and just like yeah. immediately thinking about it. It's, and then, like I said, searching for other people that were having the same experience. You know what's new for me within the last four or five years is um, having dreams about 
having dreams that are about uh, things that are happening in my life. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's, I it didn't used to have, I, I used to wake up and be like, I remember I, I once had this dream where I was like in like a sort of kind of, it felt like an action movie and there was like a big, tr- it was like Jumanji almost like a big tree yeah. and there was snakes in my uh, elementary school and I was trying to save people. But like now it's like, I have dreams like in, um, in December I had like two recurring dreams about uh chasing my ex like i was like chasing i was like in one dream the first dream i was chasing after him um trying to get answers from him and then in the last in the second and the last dream that i had of that sequence i i caught him and i was trying to get him to to i was like get him to talk about how he wronged me and he was just not doing it and so it was just weird because like i'd never thought that it would be in my conscious like that yeah i've had dreams like that too those are probably the i hate those kind of dreams yeah. where you're like fighting with somebody or trying to like resolve something it's because sometimes it takes a minute for me to get to to realize that that was not them that it didn't happen in real life um that you know i'm not you're not responsible for dream <laughs> for what's the it's a friend's line is like i'm not responsible for dream phoebe uh <laughs> Um, right where they're where they're doing that I've definitely woken up like that where I've had a dream about somebody and then I'm like you hit me I'm like I did not right exactly I'm mad at you why because what you did in my dreams because it could be unsettling it's weird how dreams can kind of have that influ- influence you know mm-hmm. on us where you have a dream like you have a fight with somebody and then it kind of cast that person in a light maybe for a little bit yes you know well okay uh, it, so this is not a nightmare it's kind of it's very disturbing though um i've have i've had dreams of having sex with people oh. very um like duh but like a very vivid sexual explicit sexual dreams but it's usually of like women yeah, or people you're not attracted to. People I'm not attracted yeah. to. Women, and um, I don't think I've ever had it with a man, but with definitely with women. And I remember the first time it happened. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, oh, I hope she listens to this. Um, Justine had just moved away. Uh-huh. And I had this really vivid dream about us having sex. And it was very, you know, it was very Bridgerton. like, <laughs> And I was like, I was so like it affected me so much because I knew I was going to see her mm-hmm. because this was when we were planning our, our trip to New York to Broadway in 26 in January, 2016. And I was talking to another friend about it and, um, you know, ever the insightful, uh, ever the, ins- uh, the insightful, uh, person, this friend was like, well, maybe you just miss her. Right. Yeah. That's typically what those dreams are about. And I was like, and so ever since then, if I truly like miss someone, um, I like have a dream where I have sex with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard about that before and yeah, there's been, I don't really get into dream psychology too much. It's not like my thing necessarily, but she's not a dream warrior. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think that, um, I mean, in so much, it's a sense of like, a lot of times dreams make sense to me that way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, where it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a year. That makes sense that I've had this rather intimate kind of dream about them. Uh, and it generally, yeah, is because you either miss somebody or, you know, there are other desires that can kind of come out, you know, in 
in whether you know like you want to control a situation or you're fighting with somebody a lot you may have these sorts of dreams because they Mm -hmm. process emotions that way so i don't think it's that weird or disturbing um (laughs) i've talked to we i have talked a little bit about it in class because people have admitted to some really strange dreams that they've had and i'm just like that seems normal to me given the circumstances of what you've said you know either somebody just died and you know and it's a weird way to process that emotion but yeah the, the connection and because we put so much connection mm-hmm. on sexual stuff that it makes sense but anyways well there we go um on that note <laughs> yeah somewhere justine's either a, a terrible nightmare for her has just been realized <laughs> or uh <laughs> hey she had a good time in my dream there we go uh, but you in know. my dream <laughs> i'm a heterosexual <laughs> Nightmare. All right. Well, that concludes. That wraps up, at least for now. Like I said, I do. I hold the privilege to resurrect this uh, for the other sequels. Just like New Line Cinema. Just like New Line Cinema. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But yes, that puts a little nail in the coffin of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, Deep dive. And thus closes out another January. Yay! We made it through the first month. We made it through. We made it through. All right, Joe. Well, sleep well. Yes. I'll see you in my dreams. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.